This is the podcast for January 14th, 2011. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from our temporary headquarters over in the better universe, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Anniversary to us. to us! Yay! Anniversary to uh, everybody! Sing now! Yeah, we five million we are, angels high fiving us! Yay. High five. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Liz Lemon, for your Thank telegram. You. Right? Thank we <laughs> we're we're one year old. This is our one year ago this week. Mm-hmm. We this got on cool. Skype and recorded something. Yes. And posted it to our blogs. Yes. And it was, I believe, come here, Mr. Watson, I need you. <laughs> it was just <laughs> us talking. Yeah. We didn't have Which, a name for it or a header or anything, uh-huh. and now look at us. And now it's basically just us talking with a name and a header. <laughs> <laughs> which is very, which is very cool. I That's mean, I'm, I'm still very um, happy doing this uh, at least once a week. Yeah. With with uh, with you, Blue Gal. Oh, me too. It's it's, a, it's just you know uh, we seem to have fairly large group of people who enjoy listening to us chat. And we're very grateful for them. And talk very to we fun. talk to a lot of them via email. It's a lot of fun hearing yeah. from our listeners and it is. interacting and so forth. And we promised we'd keep doing this until it stops being fun. That's right. And right. apparently a year later. A year later, we're still. We're sore and chafed, on. but it's still <laughs> fun. Okay. <laughs> it's still fun, damn it. It's still fun. I just want to keep doing this till I need glasses. Uh-huh, yeah. So, oh, man. Yeah. And what a week. Uh, and and yeah. a, a lot of people didn't listen to us last week. Um, we were not. I, I chose, and you agreed, that we would not front page our podcast yeah. at Crooks and Liars last week because mm-hmm. we made jokes about guns. We did. And uh, then Saturday morning, uh, the tragedy occurred. And I don't know about you, Drift Glass, but I kept my television off. After I found out about it, uh, I have small children in the house, and I didn't yeah. want uh, endless tape running, which is is the way it is in this 24-hour news cycle of, you know, the tape with the gurney. Right. Uh, and I've already seen it four or five times anyway with having the television off most of the time. That You know, there's nothing they put in the background except, yeah. you know, this the aftermath. This is not a developing story. Right, the aftermath. And it's just really harmful to my own mental energy to see that over and over again. It doesn't really add anything to the no. understanding or my ability to contribute anything to mm-hmm. world well, thought on that on that score to hear, see that over and over again. And it's the umpteenth story any of us have heard in our lifetimes of yeah. crazed gunman kill, shoots up a crowd. Yep. And yep. everyone knows how that story goes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And There's been a lot of analysis, and you know we're not going to, I think, sit and and point fingers and lots of blame. And oh well, maybe we are. Well, but I do think I, the big problem. I've said this on my blog, and and I'd like to talk about this. Is simply the fact that the GOP has a gun problem. There's always has always, always has. has. And it's. I, I was speaking with a. I belong to a church group that meets once a week on. Thursday mornings and was talking to them about this today and how we can pray about it and so forth. And uh, and we did get into a little bit of a political conversation about it, and I was glad we did. I brought up the fact that, you know, we regulate drugs in this country. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference between the regulations that we put on over-the-counter medications and prescription medications 
and heroin and meth. Yeah. Yeah. And people make those distinctions and don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But because we have the largest lobbying organization in the country right now is the NRA. They surpassed AARP Everybody. a couple years ago. Yeah. And, and they're much more highly focused. Well, but they're they have focused. One, they're, one agenda only. Yeah, but they're focused on increasing their own ability and power and budgets by saying, you know, the argument is every gun is sacred. Right. Every single gun is every single, every single gun clip is sacred. and every single bullet. Well, every single firearm. Yeah. You know, let's let's face it. You know, the, not to get into a Second Amendment debate, but when the Second Amendment was written, the country was full of British soldiers. Yeah. It was precarious times. That's why you have laws about quartering soldiers in your home in the mm-hmm. Constitution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have the well-organized or well-ordered militia as part of the Second Amendment, which is the part that you know nobody takes seriously anymore because. I got my fucking gun. Right. But the average gun, if you're a strict constructionist, which I understand the teabaggers tend to be, then then you're in favor of everybody being able to own a single-shot smoothbore musket. Yes, Because that's, right. that's what a firearm was that mm-hmm. broke down off and took a minute to load and was horribly inaccurate. If But guns now, the average person can go to a Walmart or at least to a gun show mm-hmm. and buy an arsenal sufficient to sink a warship yeah. from from 1776. And, if you yeah. if you load up on enough if you load up on shotguns and automatic weapons you could blow a, a wooden warship you could sink one out of the water. Now nobody in their right minds in 1776 thought uh, the average citizen should have enough firepower to sink a battleship. Right. Right. But that's where we've come to. We've come to a place where, where the average, you know, right wing gun owner thinks that they have a right to own a grenade launcher. Because in their backyard. In yeah. their backyard. And they've been convinced use. of that by the NRA. And let's be right. really clear about that. I grew up and I want I, I wanna say this make this personal note. I grew up in Pennsylvania, as a lot of our listeners have <laughs> called it. Western Pennsylvania, very rural. In my high school we got the first day of buck season and the first day of doe season off as school holidays. Mm-hmm. Those were days off for the staff, the students, everybody, because there were so many people that took off for the woods and went deer hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the movie The Deer Hunter is right from that area, by the way. The The amount of responsibility for guns and training your kid to mm-hmm. properly use a weapon and keep it clean and keep it locked and keep it, you know, safe. Mm-hmm. And to be safe with your gun, with your rifle, was really tantamount to any other aspect of that experience. It mm-hmm. was really important. Safety was really important. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem per se. I know there are animal rights activists that have a problem with hunting and that a lot of people find it distasteful and so forth. As far as that being a hobby that does not impact my life and is if people are safe about it, uh, yeah. you know, you, you, just, you can't you can't be uh, arguing that that is somehow, you know, harmful to society, so to no. speak. And yet we make this argument or the NRA makes this argument that, you know, a Glock is the same yeah. and it isn't. And. It isn't. 
Period. That's, that's it. And, 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 and yet the NRA, you know, has a budget of over $200 million a year. Well, and one little piece of history. I know people talked a little bit about Al Gore and the assault weapons ban. Yeah. Um, but one little piece of history that – one little piece of, of political history that's been lost in the mists of time that I pulled off of an NRA site, mm. the NRA legislative site from 2004 that was celebrating – the defeat of those gun-grabbing liberals and the rollback of the assault weapons ban. They're, they were quoting, they were dancing on the grave of the assault weapons ban by quoting from Bill Clinton's biography. Wow. And I, I just, I clipped on just a little bit of it here, but but Bill Clinton, this is something that, that we don't remember, that Bill Clinton and leading Democrats believed that one of the key reasons they lost so badly in, in 94 was the assault weapons ban. Mm-hmm. And Clinton said, and I'm just going to read a little bit here, just before the House vote on the crime bill, Speaker Tom Foley and Majority Leader Dick Gebhardt made a last-ditch appeal to me to remove the assault weapons ban from the bill. They argued that many Democrats who represented closely divided districts had already defied the NRA once on the Brady Bill vote. They said if we made the same, if we made them walk the plank again on the assault weapons ban, the overall bill might not pass, and that if it did, many Democrats who voted for it would not survive the election in November. And he goes on to say that um, the NRA would beat a lot of Democrats by terrifying gun owners. Foley, Gebhardt, and Brooks were right, and I was wrong. The price would be heavy casualties among its defenders. Mm-hmm. And Clinton, no fool, you know, said, "Look." And the net result was they passed a watered-down assault weapons ban that was that it had was an allowed, expiration date, just like the that tax had an expiration bill. date, yeah. and that, that expired, and that rolled back, and no Democrat. You know, in the right mind, he's going to take on the NRA because the NRA will crush them. And that's the question that I want to bring up with you, mm-hmm. Driftglass, which is, you know, is this a problem that we as Americans even want to fix? And e- go ahead. E- the the short answer is yeah. Um, in a different America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a different America, where you know where rhetoric is dialed way the fuck down, mm-hmm. and where the idea of a reasonable discussion about gun, the responsibilities of gun ownership, mm-hmm. can be had without somebody pouring, you know, unlimited amounts of money into a campaign to call yeah. me a gun-grabbing Nazi who wants to disarm America in advance of the great socialist takeover. Then yes, we could have that conversation. It'd be a very reasonable conversation to have. We're already embarrassing ourselves in front of the rest of the civilized world when it comes to healthcare, education, industrial yep. policy, and gun ownership. Yep. You know, except about 30, 40 million Americans don't give a shit about that. Yeah. You know, they're very happy to be proudly ignorant little fuckwads living in their, you know, in their ignorance, waving their guns around and talking about USA, USA. They have no idea about history. They have no idea about the rest of the world. And they don't give a shit. Now, in in an America where one political party doesn't completely depend on those people for their votes, then we can have this conversation easily. We could find a reasonable middle ground, but we don't live in that country. We live in this country. (laughs) And in this country, you cannot begin a conversation about reasonable gun ownership without being buried by these people. I know. And that's, and and that's the problem. That is, that is a distinct, unique American Republican conservative problem. And, and the other problem is, is that let's face it, all the other crap that the Republican party destroyed in this country, destroying the economy, destroying the military, destroying our foreign policy, wiping out our surplus. You know, we spent the last two years trying to fix that stuff. 
We've been busy. You know, yeah. we beat up on, on Barack Obama pretty good for the stuff that he doesn't do that we wish he would do. And I think rightly so. I think that's entirely fair. But if you look down the list of all the crap we've just had to clean up from the GOP smashing this country to bits over the last eight years, or really over the last 30 years, mm-hmm. just to get us back to a place where the economy is not about to implode, you know, anybody want to go take on the NRA now? Well, <laughs> you, know? you know, you know what? something that Barack Obama's done since he was inaugurated, he's appointed a chair ahead of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, and Congress hasn't approved it yet. So there is no leadership in that branch of law enforcement. No. Because politics. And Well how many you know, how many how many Republicans campaign with an assault weapon in their hands? How many times have we well, seen? Well there's Sarah a couple Palin. of them are now saying we're going to be armed now because of what yeah. happened to Gabby Jeffers. We're going to, you know, be mm-hmm. deputized by the FBI. And there's a couple of them out there who've said, "Yo, yeah, no, no, more guns and amp it up." Mm-hmm. It's just insane. Everybody, take a drink now, um, <laughs> uh, because Robert Heinlein, in in a couple of his stories, made the point of gun ownership gives weak, stupid people a, a false sense of power yeah. and pride. Mm-hmm. You know, he said you're you're much better off if you're going to go after an enemy, go after him barehanded, because then you get sneaky, because then your your all of your senses are extended outward. You know, in in combat, it, when taking on someone, that false sense of power that any idiot can get by holding a gun is the most dangerous thing around. Yeah, and that that's that false sense of power, well, mm-hmm. a genuine sense of power, that, but that false sense of authority, that false sense of confidence that can instill weak stupid people with is the enemy of the responsible gun owner yeah exactly precisely the thing you don't you don't want weak-minded stupid arrogant lazy people who 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 are carrying a chip on their shoulder walking around with weapons yeah it makes you exactly anyway it makes your case impossible to make i i I didn't mean to interrupt you um we had an email from one of our listeners talking about that from the standpoint of him being a motorcyclist and how important it was for him as someone who loved motorcycles to make sure that everyone that was on on board a motorcycle mm-hmm. was licensed and safe and careful and mm-hmm. you know duty bound to follow the rules of the road because the minute some crazy person gets you know hops on a bike and kills somebody with their, or kills themselves with a motorcycle that damages his ability to have a good time on his bike, you know, and, so, and, and this responsible is, this is, gun yeah. owners really ought to be very upset that the laws aren't more conducive to safety. And if irrational, angry, ignorant, hateful people were apportioned equally across the political <laughs> spectrum, we wouldn't have this problem. Right. Well, and, and it wouldn't be there wouldn't be one side of the political spectrum feeling incredibly defensive this week right. and scrubbing their websites. And well, yeah. you had a wonderful name for Sarah Palin's I, speech. Yesterday. Sarah Palin's speech is the, uh, is the Pettysburg address. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So good. And, and uh, I, I, I saw uh, President Obama's speech yesterday, as I'm sure yeah. virtually everyone else in America did or should have. And there's nothing to add to it. It was a brilliant speech. It was well given. It was beautifully constructed from a writer's point of view. 
Um, it came to uh, peaks and valleys where it was supposed to. It was, you know, grieving and celebratory. It was all those good things. And he didn't use any phrases that he didn't understand. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Blood. Well, but blood. What is it? Well, blood libel. Blood I, libel. I, I, he didn't. I, he didn't use that word somehow. I've got something to add to that. <laughs> but then there's really no need to add to his speech because it was self-contained and beautiful mm-hmm. and moving and perfect in in its own way. But it was the Gettysburg Address in a certain sense. It was. It was standing at a, at a, on a battlefield mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. saying that we need to do better. We need to yeah. redeem what happened here and make it worth what these people sacrificed. Died for, yes. yes. <clears throat> and going through his speech, I would say that the most existentially threatening thing that Barack Obama said yesterday was only a more civil and honest public discourse can help us face up to our challenges as a nation. Mm. Because honestly – as Mark Twain famously said that if of Joseph Smith, if he had been forced to leave out and it comes to pass from his Bible, then his Bible would have, <laughs> his Bible would have only been a pamphlet. <laughs> and if the right wing is ever forced to leave out lying, which is what he asked for, honest public discourse yep. and hatred mm-hmm. and rage – they, their movement ceases. They don't have sale. a movement. Exactly. Exactly. And the minute, the minute they stop using, you know, Bircher dog whistles and racist dog whistles, hate radio ceases to exist and the geo becomes a handful of rich old white men bitching about tax cuts. Yep. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's as simple, it's as fucking simple as that. Without the right wing crazies on hate radio and in, in the, in the, uh, Christopathic churches, they don't have anything. There's nothing left of the right except for those people and this little thin shell of legislative folks on top. And that's why it's, that's why they can't go back because they have literally, there's nothing left of the right. There's nothing that, you know, they've, they've taken the skin and bones of Abraham Lincoln and dressed up, you know, Jefferson Davis and the Klan and that skin and they, they're dancing around in his remains and it's obscene and they're never going to go back. They can't walk it. They cannot walk it back. Because and that's why Sarah Palin can't say I was sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm wrong. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Not for not for a direct causal relationship, but for upping the rhetorical ante. She can't do it because the minute she does it, she's cast out from the movement. Well, because I started a hashtag on Twitter this week, which mm-hmm. which really took off. <laughs> called yes. both sides don't. <laughs> yeah, it really did take off. It really did take off. You know, both sides don't have to scrub their websites after a nine-year-old is shot. They don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And but someone respond, or someone else had a hashtag up also this weekend about increase the level or improve the level or something like that. It was about improving our conversation and being more civil. And this person um, had five points about how we can do that and the first one granted the first one was um, stick to facts yes but i got into a, <laughs> a little bit of a debate with him about that because i right. said you you can't just say stick to facts you have to say don't lie that's right that's right and he disagreed but i stuck to my guns on that because stuck to my guns listen to yeah. my rhetoric popsicle on that because for Fox News viewers, death panels and me- weapons of mass destruction 
you know, the, and, those kind of things are facts. And you know, acorn. Obama's acorn conspiracy. So, those are facts. Those, those are, are just, those are absolute facts. Verified facts. And if and, Glenn Beck and, said it on the TV, you know, if it was a lie, Rupert Murdoch would fire him. That's right. right. <laughs> that's right. And, and the thing is, guys, this is verbatim the conversation I had with conservative friends years and years and years ago, and they didn't believe me then. I think some of them do now. But it's the same. They really believe this stuff. Yeah. They're yeah. not pretending. They're not. Oh, no. They'll pass a lie detector. Is they, it true? Yes, it they is. Really believe, and they really believe it because the voices in their heads say it's true. Yeah, yeah. And and the creepy, you know, Photoshop I did of Which Glenn Beck. really creepy. Um, Glenn Beck, uh, you know, facially matches the the Tucson shooter about 95%. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really kind of creepy how. Yeah. But it's you know it's when your inside voice and your outside voice become the same. Yeah. You know when when the cons- when the raging conspiracy in your head and the hate in your head and all the stuff you've been raised to believe or taught to believe or sort of soaked in for over twenty or thirty years, of liberals are really communists. They really hate America. They're really socialists. They really want to take my guns away. And then you turn on the radio and you hear somebody saying exactly those things. Mm-hmm. You you don't your immediate impulse isn't my God they're lying. It's my God! I found I finally found a, a ray of truthful light in this horrible world. Well, and, and this is what's going on. This is this is something that you have taught me, Drift Glass, which is mm-hmm. this has been going on since at least the 1950s. Oh yeah. And before this, it was the Soviet Union wants to invade America, and they've got the power to do it, and they're going to invade us, and there are secret cells wanting to take us over, and we find out. You know, the Soviet Union in the 70s had no money. They were broke. <laughs> they were broke and you know? falling apart. They were looking at us going, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was, and, and, there was like, the, like the NRA, there is a – you know, it's crazy. People talk about the professional left. It's the professional right that we need to worry about. Well, and, people and that have a vested interest in their profit margin mm-hmm. in keeping – ramping up – the rhetoric and the fight beyond what it really is. No one wants to take away hunting rifles from Western Pennsylvania no, deer hunters. No, and if that's the argument, there's no lobbying that's going to be done. No, nobody's going to raise any money to lobby in that area. No, nobody wants. So you have to, to ramp it up. If somebody wants to take away your handgun and your Glock, right. and there's a communist conspiracy, and the government is going to take away all of your. Well, the government wants to kill you. The government yeah. wants to yeah. kill you through death panels, or the government wants to leave yeah. you defenseless. So yeah. when the great socialist takeover occurs, Honestly. you have no way to defend yourself. Well, first of all, guys, it, when we do have the great socialist takeover, the thing at your door is not going to be somebody with a pistol. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be guns Somebody with health care. <laughs> yeah. Sit out in your backyard trying to take Somebody's out going to be knocking on your door with health care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your death panel's out here. I don't want to go. I'm feeling fine. You know, it's bring out your dead. Right. Bring out, you know, here come the death panelists. I'm, I'm not, I'm not dead. He's not at all well. You know, that's, but yeah. it's funny because it's so stupid. Yeah. But they really kind of believe that. Really down in their souls, they really do believe that that's their future unless they fight back. But see, and, I have, this is when my, my hope meter starts to weaken a little bit because, I keep thinking about Stephen Colbert's the most important quote of 2010 where he said, you know, if this is going to be a Christian nation, I'm reading now, if this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, either we've got to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as we are, or we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition and then admit that we just don't want to do it. Yeah. And I think about that in terms of gun control as well, that 
the life of a nine-year-old girl, and I am not going to cry here. <laughs> I'm going to take a deep breath. <sighs> well, and this the that's life of a nine-year-old girl. I think we're both all cried out, frankly. Yeah, I know. I well, I am. I know. Yeah. You know, Sunday it was hard. It was even hard to just get up and go to church. I was so depressed, but. I'm glad I did because as I sat there praying for my enemies, I realized, you know, I do have compassion for the mental illness that is the paranoia that -hmm. leads to this craziness. I don't have sympathy for those people that take advantage of that insanity for their own personal profit. And as as yours truly put up yesterday and the day before, responsible people don't leave guns or paranoid eliminationist ideologies laying around for mentally yep. ill people exactly. to pick up and play exactly. with. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And and but getting back to Stephen Colbert, yeah. you know, this idea of this nine year old girl's life being the price we pay for a free society where anybody can buy a gun. And that really does seem to be uh and, and you know, I I'm willing to make that sacrifice provided the NRA won't target my district and right. And right. that, and and I'll lose my house seat. Really? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. where we're at. Yes, we are. Yeah, and, and, and yes, and we I, are. I, I, and I that makes me feel really sad and depressed. Well, I will say I will say this that that the people who say that or people who think that the, the legislators who think that don't think that for no reason. No, it's it's realistic. They know that they will walk out on that limb and mm-hmm. it will be sawed off behind them. Yeah, and their their good works will be for nothing. Yeah. And the other ten things they want to accomplish will never get done because the NRA will have crushed them and and, and put in some you know right wing yapper in their place. Yeah. So it is a it is in, in a sense a, a coldly rational calculation in some cases. In some cases, it's just cowardice. Yeah. You know, in, in some cases it really is, but but it ignores the problem, and the problem is the voter. Yeah. The problem are the people who believe this stuff and who take action either by going to Tea Party rallies and waving their guns sending around. Sending checks to the NRA. Sending yeah. checks to the NRA or voting for people or screaming about death panels yep. or, or demanding you know birth certificates. Yep. Re-elected they, Michelle Bachman after she says, you yeah. know, I want I want Minnesotans to be armed and dangerous. Really? They, they you know, underwrite and validate Yep. The crazy every election, yep. every two years, every every town hall meeting, every time they get ahead, politicians look at that and say, well, you know, mm-hmm. that's what works. That's what will get me elected and that's what, that's what will move mm-hmm. me forward. And I, I know we're running a little, little short on time, so I, if you don't mind, I'd like to explain briefly why the blood libel. Yeah, and the, I just want to add that the, before you do that, that the, mm-hmm. um, the one thing that does give me hope is the fact that what I have seen in this particular instance, uh, stronger than in past instances, is law enforcement yeah, coming forward. That's true. That's true. Law enforcement and district attorneys and mayors coming forward and saying, you know, and particularly some district attorneys, I believe, have come forward and said, you know, I know it doesn't make any difference to the families who've lost people to gun violence, but it's a lot easier to get these people behind bars if there's a weapons charge in addition to whatever else I'm trying to prove. Mm-hmm. And get them, getting them off the street is really important. And then Sheriff Dup- Dupnik, um, yeah, the, the right. Arizona sheriff who, you know, said this hate radio is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And and I admire his courage and uh, and and may a lot of mayors as well uh, have something to say about this. Yeah. And 
because they're right in the thick of it. They're right in the thick of it. You know? And that gives me hope that I, th- I think there is some greater courage coming forward uh, in those areas. So you were you want to talk about blood libel. Well, I just Go want to right talk ahead. about it for, for one hot minute, and that's that it's not just it, it was Sarah Palin's Pettysburg address. And it wasn't just a, a, an anti-Semitic and, and really obscene thing to compare yourself to. You know, my suffering, I, I forget where I read it the other day, you know, we Jews would like to apologize for centuries of comparing our suffering to poor Sarah Palin. <laughs> you know, poor, poor Sarah, poor with her reality show and her unlimited access to television and her yeah. millions of dollars from crazy people. Poor Sarah. But it unintentionally, I think, because she has no idea what the hell she's talking about and her speechwriters clearly have no idea that blood libel was the perfect metaphor for, in a sense, for what the right is doing. Because the blood libel, which you know, for those of you who don't know, was the the, the lie that um, Jews use the blood of Christians to make you know make Christian their children. Uh, Christian children. That was not just a lie that came out of nowhere. That was the result of of literally a century of escalating lies. And what happened was this was this was during the eleven or twelve hundreds. It was it didn't just pop out of nowhere. And this is what's really important to understand that the Catholic Church at that time and since then has had a had a really schizophrenic relationship with the Jews. On the one hand, they hated them because they wouldn't convert. They wouldn't see the world through their eyes. They wouldn't acknowledge that Jesus was the Savior. But on the other hand, they needed them because without the Jews, there's no prophecy fulfilled. There's no Their religion makes no sense because it isn't doing anything. So they had this constantly schizophrenic relationship with them. So on the one hand, what would happen is the Pope would be reasonable. He's like the ultimate centrist. He's like, you know, yeah, they're bad, yeah, they're awful, but leave them alone. We'll keep them in these little ghettos and we'll we'll, treat them badly, but we need them because they're proof that Jesus was really the Redeemer. But on the other hand, out in the out of the countryside out on the out on the fringes you had these priests who said no jews do these terrible things they they poison our wells and they desecrate the host and they'd whip crowds into a frenzy and they'd kill a bunch of jews and they they they'd whip up mobs of uh, lynch mobs and the pope would try to calm that down but the pope couldn't really calm it down too much because the entire papacy depended yep. on that hateful relationship to the Jews. Mm -hmm. So a generation would pass and the crazy people who had incited riots in one generation became the Pope of the next generation. Mm -hmm. And so you had this escalating series of incredibly ridiculous eliminationist priests who saw that their path to the top of the organization was to take it one step further. And that is the history of the conservative movement in this country. Exactly. It is – they see that the way you get your own television show or the way you get to the top of the Republican Party or the way in Rush Limbaugh's case you get the entire party kissing your ass every time they, they step out of line. They have to go on Rush to apologize. The way you win in conservative politics is to out-crazy the last guy. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the responsible centrists like David Brooks wish they'd stop doing that. Because it's dangerous and it's crazy and it, it has destroyed conservatism in America. But the truth of the matter is that he needs that movement to to justify his existence. Yep. So he can't come out and just say, well, you know, the problem with this country are conservatives. Uh, the conservative movement has lost its fucking mind. He has to, you know, say, well, you know, if only both sides weren't so unreasonable. Oh, if and and it is that constant upward spiral, that constant upping of the ante that that has made Michelle Bachman's career, Absolutely. made Sharon Angle's career, yep. made Sarah Palin's career, Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, Savage, 
uh, Hannity, all of them. All of them depend on getting crazier every day. And the, the poor bastards who fall behind, like Bill O'Reilly, yeah, you know, right, have right. to, oh, oh my God, I've, you know, they, they've gotten out ahead of me. He has to then come out and start ranting about killer the baby killer. Yep, yep. So the blood libel was not an anomaly. It was the natural end product of a process of vicious eliminationist rhetoric that got crazier and crazier because the authority at the middle sanctioned it, because they let it happen. Thank if, you if, for bringing that up. That really mm-hmm. is enlightening. Mm-hmm. And that I, I heard a lot of people talking about the history of that particular phrase, mm-hmm. but not – I didn't hear anybody on radio or television explain how it got that way. Yeah, yeah. And it got that way because the central authority needed the rage and the hatred and the, the passion to control and extract money from their illiterate masses in exactly the same way that the conservative movement needs its – angry eliminationist rhetoric Mm -hmm. to extract votes and money from its illiterate masses. And it's never going to stop until it gets really violent, blood in the streets violent, or until someone on the right says enough already and disavows these people. And that's not going to happen because they need them to win elections. Win elections and make money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's what scares the hell out of me. Yeah is that we never seem to learn this lesson until you have a president standing at Gettysburg talking about tragedy. Yeah. We, is that where we want I'm to not end? Happy. Do we want to end uh, there? Well, no. <laughs> no, well no, I, I'd like to say that, that my president kicked ass. Mm-hmm. He stood up and, and gave a beautiful, uplifting, gracious um, generous, kind speech. Yeah, um, I, 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 had, I, had, I got into it with someone else on Twitter last night about that, though, because after the speech... You know, I thought it was a great speech. And mm-hmm. after the speech, someone came on Twitter and said, this is the president we elected in 2008, and mm-hmm. we really need to support him and work hard for his reelection and yada, yada, yada. And I thought to myself, yeah, I think during that speech, he settled the issue as to whether anyone's going to run a primary yeah. <laughs> against yeah. him. Forget that. Well, he also settled the issue of whether or not words can move people. And exactly. Words can move people for good <laughs> as well as yes, evil. Hello. But at the same time, and I don't want to be the party pooper on the back of the train, mm-hmm. but uh, those of us on the left haven't forgotten that Gitmo is still open and that renditions nope. are still going on mm-hmm. and that there were tax cuts for billionaires that this president compromised with mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell on. Mm-hmm. And we haven't forgotten those things. And Mr. President, it was a great speech. Your feet are still to the fire and from still, us. And well, that's, but that's the thing. Maybe that is the appropriate place to leave this at, mm-hmm. which is it is possible for a grown-up to <laughs> – to at once entertain the idea that that President Obama gave one grand speech for the ages mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. that did everything it was supposed to do. It was, it was, as I said, gracious and uplifting and kind and generous and, and was exactly the right thing to say at exactly the right time. And that you screwed up on Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You screwed up on Gitmo, and mm-hmm. and we're not going to let you forget the promises you made. We're going to hold your feet to the fire yeah. because he's he works for us. He's a civil servant, and it's perfectly reasonable to say that some things you do very well, and we really appreciate, and some things you do very poorly or need a lot of work on, and we're going to bitch about that. 
Yep. And you can and you can hold both of those thoughts in your mind at the exactly. same time. You know, I like like I said, you know who holds you know who's able to do those complex thinking games, Blue Gal? Grown ups. Grown ups. <laughs> Grown ups are capable of doing that. Yes. Children who believe, well, he's a corporate scum and he's this, he's right. that. You know, he's, he's done nothing good ever under any circumstances, and I, I, I reject you. Are just as petulant and childish and yeah. and and, well, and that's simple-minded that's... as the people who say, "Oh no, and he's you know he's the second coming." Although, yeah. frankly, I don't know any liberals who think that. I don't know any liberals who think he's the one. Well, I I think there's a lot of people for whom politics is a part-time gig. Yeah. Who really can't hold, or don't seem to want to hold. More than one thousand percent enthusiasm, or none, and yeah. Yeah. this is the real world. This, yeah. you know, we're not in that better universe where presidents <clears throat> are perfect. I'll tell you, Blue Gal, if if there were a, a a decent, reasonable, fiscally prudent, socially uh, liberal Republican running for mayor of the city of Chicago. He or she might very well – I don't have a problem with the party label. I have a yeah. problem with what you have to do to stay in that party. Right. I don't care about your party label. I care about who you hang out with to get your votes. Yeah. And as long as the Republican Party is on the same bus with the Birchers and the racists and the Klansmen and the lunatics, you're never going to get my vote, ever. I don't care what Barack Obama does. I don't care how compromised he is. He is light years better than anything than Sarah Palin any day. And that's yeah. the lesson we learned this week. Yes. Really? Really? If your choice is between these two, you're going to shrug your shoulders and vote for Nader? Really? Okay, we'll go with that. Good luck with that. Yeah. That's a show. You rock, Blue Gal. Well, I, you know. You rock the his house, Blue Gal. I don't know if we're really adding anything to the conversation, but it's well, a rant against the gun industry, but. That's well. It's. I think we've added a few historical notes. Yeah. Well, I really liked what you had to say about blood libel. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it, it's hard to add anything radically different given this week was so eventful. Yeah, and that, that that's all anybody's talking about. Yeah. Right. But what we can add are some. So it's our one year anniversary. So today, Blue Gal's going to share her cupcake recipes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I use half cake flour. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. I use half cake flour for that extra bouncy. Bouncy, bouncy, bouncy. We want to thank our listeners. You guys are great. Thank you for a wonderful year. We have yes. have enjoyed this, and it, you have made it possible with your emails, your words of encouragement, your votes of confidence, and your contributions. We have your, a website. We do. Professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can listen to past episodes for free with no download. We are also on iTunes, and we love our iTunes listeners. If you're on iTunes, feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. At our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, there is also an opportunity for you to drop five bucks in the hat to support our work and keep our podcast viable. We really appreciate your $5 contributions. Thank you so much. And you can email us. Our email address is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. We get terrific emails every week from our listeners, and we love hearing from you. How are the Internet Kitties doing this week? <laughs> the Internet Kitties are stunned that we've made it this far. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying and the shooting and the dying and the fellow Switchblade knife, let's think about living. Let's think about life. 
podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2011, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast.